Hello listeners everywhere. Welcome to the Archive of Audio Antiquities, a voyage into the vault of wonders on the wireless. In a moment, Simon Exton and Ken Moss will be here to speak to you. Hello everyone and thank you for paying another visit to the Archive of Audio Antiquities. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. What are we listening to tonight? Well, tonight, drumroll please. We are going to listen to the winner of the 2019 Radio Times poll for the best radio comedy series. We are listening to Round the Horn. Now, you sent me the complete series one on CD, which I listened to back to back in the kitchen and adored. I didn't know anything about it. I knew it was sort of Ken Horn, Kenneth Williams, the end. Round the Horn was the second starring role of Kenneth Horn, a radio personality in the 50s and 60s. I think pre-war, he'd been uh, something in the manufacturing industry, managerial side. And then during the war, had ended up associated with radio entertainment. And as a result of that, had ended up doing a very, very popular program called Much Binding in the Marsh. And that went from 1956 to 1958. Because of the success of that, he got a radio show of his own called Beyond Our Ken, which was kind of an ensemble piece of sketch shows, regular characters, all fairly standard radio fare, but very, very successful and very well done. And we we can come on and, and look at Beyond Our Ken at some point in the future. There were arguments with the lead writer who ended up refusing to write anymore because of some argument about Ken Horn being so popular he could go and front other programs. So Beyond Our Ken was re-imaged as Round the Horn, and it was written by Marty Feldman and Barry Took. They described it as wanting to write comedy that was down market in an upmarket way. It was incredibly successful, ran from 1965 to 1968, Four seasons that only stopped because of the death of Kenneth Horne himself. Mm. Starred Kenneth Horne, Kenneth Williams, Betty Marsden, Hugh Paddock and Bill Pertwee. Musical interludes by the Fraser Hayes Four and the announcer was Douglas Smith, but in the same way as the goons kind of brought their announcer on as part of the ensemble, then Round the Horn did that as well and he was involved in some of the sketches. Kenneth Horne himself, in between his radio shows and when he was doing Much Binding in the Marsh, was also working as a successful businessman and the radio stuff was almost a hobby for him. And in fact, he ended up as the managing director of Chad Valley Toys, who are now owned by Sainsbury's. But in 1938, they were announced as toy makers to the Queen. And then with the coronation in 1952, they were toy makers to the Queen and Queen Mother. So they, they were a fairly influential company while he was at the helm of them. And he gave up on that to do Beyond Arken and then Round the Horn. He'd had health problems. He'd had a heart attack just at the tail end of one of the series of Round the Horn, which meant that he wasn't able to be in their Christmas special. And he was prescribed some anticoagulant medication, which he apparently stopped on the advice of his faith healer and fairly soon thereafter died of a second massive heart attack while he was presenting a TV awards dinner at the Dorchester Hotel. Slightly downbeat ending to that description. 
So on that, shall we listen to the first series of Round the Horn? Meanwhile, for those of you more easily pleased, here's 30 minutes of star-studded rubbish as Kenneth Horn takes you round the horn. The story so far. Husky, strapping Betty Marsden is madly in love with sweet, ethereal Kenneth Williams. He of the bedroom eyes and bathroom mind. <laughs> Together they stroll through the thick, tangled undergrowth, played by thick, tangled Hugh Paddock. In his ineffable manner, as opposed to his usual manner, which is extremely effable. Pausing by the trunk of a petrified oak, played by petrified Bill Pertwee, he took her in his arms, his firm young kneecaps pressed against the madras cotton of his trousers. Her mouth became a scarlet wound of anguish as she gasped out the words, Good evening, my name's Kenneth Horn. I wasn't sure what to expect when I put the CD in the player because that sort of 1950s, 1960s stuff, a lot of it is very sketch-based, catchphrase material. And that format continued for decades. It's certainly nothing that anybody learned from or improved on because a lot of even the television sitcoms, certainly well into the 2000s, were catchphrase-based. That was where the comedy came from. And comedy sketch shows as well. The Fast Show was completely catchphrase-based. Yeah, Um, Little Britain, same thing. Little Britain, to a lesser extent, things like Smack Pony. Yeah, and League of Gentlemen. You see, I would say League of Gentlemen was more character-driven than catchphrase-driven. It had its catchphrases, but they weren't the hook of the entire sketch. You weren't waiting for that character to say the catchphrase for that to be the punchline, whereas stuff like Little Britain, you were. Round the Horn, the one which it shouldn't have made me laugh, but it did every single time, was many times, many, many times. Many, many times. Many, many, many Um, times. (laughs) Be Clissold or Lady Counterblast. But then I got an offer to go back to Hollywood. Daryl left Poltergeist, said um, he'd make a star of me if I would just come across. (laughs) And did you? Many times. (laughs) Many, many times. Many, many, many times. I think it was because there wasn't a sketch with her in it where that was going to be the payoff. She'd just, after a while, just randomly crop up and it'd be many times, many, many times. (laughs) And it'd be all these different things. It was beautifully played. That was the standout character for me. And I loved her butler, played by Kenneth Williams. And whenever he had to introduce Kenneth (laughs) Kenneth Thorne, he would say, young master, and then young, and dissolve into peals of laughter. Have you come to do my washing for three weeks? No, I <laughs> No, uh, hello, Spasm. I, I've come to see Lady Counterblast. Go back to London, young man. Go back before it's too late. There'll be a bane on this house, a nameless evil, strange things lurk here. Go back, I tell ye. Go back. Go back. You, uh, you did that bit last week. <laughs> yes, it went round the world. I did okay. <laughs> Cross not these portals, young master. We be doomed 
dear, doomed. If you be sound seeing the mistress, you better follow me. Be careful of the cobwebs in here. Tis the young master. The young master. <laughs> Tis the young master, man. It was Kenneth Williams stealing the show, as Kenneth Williams always stole the show, and it, it's how he lost his job on Hancock, because he was seen to be overshadowing the star of the show. As did Sir James, I believe. He was um, potted in the end because he seemed to be in no need for Sir James, this, this equally popular character. And Kenneth Williams... Every character that he plays in the Round the Horn series, I assume that Beyond Our Ken, he was in that. Was he in that as well? I think so. I, th- I think it was largely the, the same cast. Mm. But his characters, it's very obviously Kenneth Williams, but they were different enough to be entertaining and they were different enough to be different characters. He did Rambling Sid Rumpo, and you think, what the hell is this? Now, what are you going to sing for us this week, Rambling Sid? Well, I Sid? thought I'd give you a sea shanty. Oh, nice. It's an old Cornish lobster potter's song. It tells the story of a young lobster man who sings to his lady love. For I'm going away, my fair young maid, upon the salty main I'll come home a bernie, a parrot, and fine laces, and perfume, and a new sink tidy for what you've always craved. <laughs> and to this his lady love answers, I, what's that you said? Cause she weren't listening. So he sings to her, when you're outward bound and the wind blows free, free, oh, oh. early in the morning. What on earth? There's a certain genius about this musical comedy. I absolutely yes. love that. Yeah, absolutely. And Peasmold Gruntfuttock. <laughs> Grant Fattock. This Grant Fattock. <laughs> this the rude third. name that it um, isn't rude at all, but the way it's said, Grant Fattock. Uh, and, Jay and, and his wife, was it Buttercup? Buttercup. Grant Fattock. This week we are honoured by a return state visit of the man who is self-appointed head of an autonomous kingdom within Great Britain, Mr... Um, um... Grant, Grant Fattock. <laughs> King, King Grant Fattock of Peasmoldia. Yes, <laughs> which I believe consists yes. of railway sidings Hoxton and up as far as Buttermold Street as the pub. That's right, that is my kingdom, yes. Uh, the Holy Peasmoldian Empire. Holy? Holy, yes, yes. You see, the empire is wholly my own idea. You see, I have the voices. They speak to me, you know. They tell me things. Go forth, Grant Fattock. That's it. Go forth, Grant Fattock, my child. They said. Go forth. They did. They said, go forth and claim thy rightful inheritance. And they added, P.S., my child, and while you're out, get us an ounce of shag. How they got away with a lot of that in the 60s, it was very near the knuckle. Apparently, there were massive complaints, both from Conservative MPs and Mary Whitehouse, to the point where every script had to go past the BBC Director General. I've read the Wikipedia article on this, and yeah. I Who can apparently f- didn't read them and just wrote across the top of it, I have no problem with yeah. this, or I see no problem with this. <laughs> but what a... I mean, that is the sort of thing... I've said this before, that... 
The Goon Show, I thought, was dirge. That was not amusing to me. That was pushing the envelope, but not in the direction that I would particularly have been interested with. This, at the time... I mean, I'm listening to it. It's very tame through 21st century years, but listening to it through 1960 years, you think, crikey, that's a bit... uh, Right. Listening to this through the relay or the home service or whatever it was on, that must have uh, set the cat amongst the pigeons. A bit near the knuckle for, you know, home listening. But wonderfully entertaining stuff. You can see why audiences were so receptive to it. Absolutely. And I remember seeing an interview with Barry Took, who said that the way they got away with it was by not being blatant in the slightest, but doing the sort of thing where neighbours would be able to think, well, I understand what's going on here because I'm more cosmopolitan and understanding than my other neighbours. I'm going to laugh about it myself. I know what Sandy is talking about. And he said every house in England was thinking that and the neighbours were doing the whole hee-hee-hee, aren't I clever? Yet the Julian and Sandy bit, the gay couple in it, doing a different scenario every week. They didn't come across to me as a couple, actually. They came across to me as friends. Oh, I agree. No, I agree. There were just two gay characters in it. It was never shied away from. Hello. We're from rent chat I'm Julian. This is my friend Sandy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. We've come to do for you. <laughs> yeah, that's never Kenneth Owen. It is. Oh, enough. Look how old, didn't he? I wonder if they're his own teeth. Ask him. Oh, I don't like Oh, to. go on. No. Look, look, I heard what you said. Oh, he was earwigging. <laughs> Have you just popped round to make comments on my personal appearance or are you going to do the housework? Well, we're seven or six an hour, you know. Yeah, not cheap. <laughs> did, uh, did Miss Brahms at the agency warn you? Yes, we agreed terms. Now, quick, come in before the neighbours see you. <laughs> now, um... <laughs> I know that this was where the whole Polari thing came in. Which oh, God, I've... no, Polari predates that massively. It's where it became part of the public consciousness. But you have to bear in mind, Round the Horn started in 1966. Oh, was it that late? I that must be confusing this pre- with Beyond Arcane. Pre-decriminalisation. Right. Decriminalisation of homosexuality was 1967. So the first Julian and Sandy sketches were while male homosexuality was still illegal. But it was done in such a way. And, you know, you've got Ken Horn playing along with this. But that, to me, is where normalising it is far better than ramming it down the public throat as you should accept this. Yeah, I mean, ramming it down the public's throat, you could also call that as decriminalisation. So giving legal protections. But after that, it becomes a social issue. And the way to solve social issues is on a social level. So it's the bloke who runs the corner shop who happens to have a husband who works in the A&E department. It's the woman who is behind the counter in in your local spa shop who also happens to be married to the postmistress. It is normalising it at an individual level in your own community. And that is the only way attitudes change. Laws can change, and that is essential. But the way to normalise things is at a community level. Oh, I agree completely. And that, what I mean that's is you, true you, for homosexuality. That's yeah. true for integration of racial minorities. 
people respond to faces that they can recognise. And it's why soap operas make such a huge amount of social and societal change. No, I completely agree. And this is a little bit off topic from round the horn, but I have always said... Julian and Sandy made a huge difference, a huge, huge cultural difference and cultural impact. And probably looking back on that, the vast majority of gay people today will say, well, uh, who's Julian and Sandy? And okay, it's 50, 55 years ago. It's building on, building on, building on, building on. And yeah, you had the legal protections coming in with Wild Blood and Wolfenden and decriminalization. But you also had normalization that didn't really ramp up a gear after this until EastEnders in the early 80s. But anyway, I don't want to devolve this into a gay politics episode because there is so much more to round the horn than that. It falls apart a little bit these days because a lot of the contemporary references, some of them like the Randy Mice thing. You've listened to this more recently than I have. What was there that was a contemporary reference? There were bits of it about the politicians of the day, which even to me who I've taken an active interest in politics from the sort of the 60s, 70s onwards... I've got to say, it was a little bit above my head. I couldn't quite get a handle on what they were saying. The one thing that stuck out was the repetition of the format from week to week. Now, as you've said many times before, many, many times, many, 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 many times, <laughs> these but, things were okay, not but, designed to be listened to back to back. Before we go on and say that, that just demonstrates the power of that particular catchphrase, because yes. you and I can say that jokingly, <laughs> and you think back to all the Lady Counterblast sketches and all the descriptions of, and you can recognise the Gone with the Wind bit that she talks about, yeah. and the Hitchcock bit that she t- she talks about, and it's never mentioned in name, but it is absolutely brilliant, and it, it is all completely contained within this many times. Many, many many times times. that Betty Marsden just does phenomenally well. In the earlier ones, it's signposted that this is coming up. And as time goes on, the many, many times thing, she just appears randomly and there's your laugh and then it's forgotten and they move on. But these things are not designed to be listened to back to back as we do now. This, you know, the 16 episodes in a lovely box set, all cleaned up and sparkling for CD with a lovely presentation case and a, a notation booklet, they were listened to seven days apart. So the repetition that we hear now as a modern audience certainly wasn't there when it was first broadcast. If you listen to it with that in mind, you get a lot more out of them than thinking, oh, this is very repetitious. You do, but that criticism can be levelled every bit as much at the Fast show or the Catherine Tate show or any of the more modern comedy sketch shows that were being produced in an era where you knew there was going to be, at the very least, VHS or DVD availability and that people were going to be able to watch episodes back after back after back. This was never thought of. They would have been considered prime fodder for repeats, but they would have been transmission repeats on an episodic basis. Yeah. And actually, one of the things that I was reading when I was prepping this episode was that by the late 60s, television was becoming the more predominant medium for entertainment rather than radio. And Round the Horn at its peak was getting 15 million listens. And that was the last time that listening figures that that large 
So this is the last big radio success. And I have to say, I find this massively entertaining. I've, I've listened to this loads of times over the years because I started listening to this stuff as a teenager. Not on first transmission. Oh, not so far off, Doctor 1968. 69, 69, You're not funny. <laughs> But round the horn, I've got to say, it's one of those things, because you, you listen to things from, oh, all those years ago, and, and they're entertaining as a one-off, but you might not necessarily want to listen to any more. Hancock. The Hancocks are very entertaining as one-offs. I'm not sure I could bounce them back-to-back and be consistently entertained. The Round the Horns, I was not bored. I listened to 16 episodes back-to-back in the kitchen over a week or so, 10 days, whatever it was. I loved it. I was not bored. I was entertained consistently. For that period, for something that's sort of 50, 60 years old, that's fairly good going. Yes, and, uh, you know, I've re-listened to these on a, I don't know, every five or six years or something like that. And I'm consistently entertained. There are classic radio comedy shows that just absolutely stand the test of time. You listen to something like Round the Horn. Apart from the contemporary references, it, it doesn't really age. The Julian Sandy stuff has aged because it's the end of the pier, ooh, giggle, giggle thing that we don't really need these days. But stuff like The Lady Counterblast, you could see David Williams doing that Betty Marston part. Well, he, he pretty much did in Little Britain, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. And you compare it to sort of earlier stuff like Much Binding in the Marsh, that's very, very much of its time. Yes, I agree, yeah. There are other radio comedies throughout the years that stand out as very good comedies. So things like Parsley Sidings, I love. Oh, I'm sorry, I'll read that again. It's yeah. wonderful. Cabin Pressure, superb. And these audio dramas are massively entertaining. That's the, the whole reason we're doing this podcast is because these audio dramas are so massively entertaining. And Round the Horn is their front and centre as entertaining and as funny Actually, probably not as funny as it was in the 60s because a modern audience, you don't get the contemporary political and social references that they had then. I'll agree with that, yes. I think the thing that it boils down to for me is that something that is so old, comparatively it is, I still have trouble reconciling the fact that this is 60 years old. Yeah, and any further back than that, you were either getting to The Goon Show, which was taking the established mould and jumping up and down as hard as they possibly could. And most of the time, it didn't really work. You can see why it was appealing compared to what else there was. Or it was very RP, an announcer at the mic and little sketches in the background. Oh, we should do Hut 33 at some point. The reason that this has reminded me of it is because it's set in the war and it's a modern sitcom, but there are elements where they hark back to the way sitcoms were at that point. We'll add it to the list. There's quite a list. But rounding off, I think, round the horn. Rounding off, round the horn. I very much recommend this. I surprised myself because I, I went into it with a sort of a cynical eye. The very beautifully lavish box set of recordings. Because 15 from, years in, you don't think I know your taste. You might, might just know what I fancy. But this landed on the doorstep courtesy of your good self. And I immediately went into the player in the kitchen. I wasn't expecting great shakes, as I think most people wouldn't be from something from the mid-1960s. Delightfully surprised. 
It's very modern for something five, six decades old. And that's rare. I mean, you're saying this to me as though you're expecting me to, to be surprised. I'm the one that recommended it to you in the first place. It, it's oh. more to the audience that I think that uh, oh, anybody we have listening to this, if you fancy something to be gently surprised by, this wouldn't be a bad start. And it's probably available on Amazon for 20 quid or something. Oh, yeah, I don't send you pricey stuff. <laughs> well, it was worth every I'm, I'm penny. from Liverpool, after all. I do cheap. I've always been a fan. I started listening to all of this classic radio sitcom and drama stuff way back when I was a teenager in the 80s. I love it. It's incredibly entertaining. They are an ensemble cast who are really top of their game and put in fantastic performances. There are some incredibly entertaining set pieces. One of my favourite bits of it is the introduction to each episode. Oh, yes, the dramatised, yeah. Which is a, a sort of takeoff of the whole sex and Blake thing, all terribly dramatic, but at the same time incredibly tongue-in-cheek. It's well worth your time to check out. So having gushed suitably about Round the Horn, and I think we can both heartily recommend it. It's we time can, to and on the subject of recommendations... Oh yes, it's time for Podcast of the Week. And I think in terms of a small ensemble cast, in terms of laugh-out-loud inventive comedy, there's really only one podcast that we can recommend, and that is Mr. Benson and the Boisterous Bunnies at the Killer Rabbit Podcast. It's that time of the show again, like to do a quiz. I quite like the quiz. Have a listen to the question and chat what the answer is. Okay, I get it. It's your chance to show us that you're smart. I am very smart. And if you fall to pieces, well, at least you've played a part. That's okay. It's like watching pointless or going on the chase. So just sit back and relax and let us quiz on your face. Oh, no, I don't like the sound of that. Oh, the killer rabbit boys. Yes. I think this is where our northern genes kick in. They're massively entertaining and a lot of fun as well. I mean, we should probably say something a little bit more about it than that. Um, They're a group of lads from Leeds who do a wildly entertaining three-way podcast called Killer Rabbit. It's a little bit of sketch. They do some banter. They do the occasional quiz with the best quiz jingle in the world. They just make me laugh. And you can't ask more than that. It's about as much as you want from a podcast. But on that note, boys and girls, we shall sign off. We shall shall heartily recommend Killer Rabbit and definitely heartily recommend Round the Horn. Next month, we shall be back with a critique of the BBC audio release of Doctor Who, The Myth Makers. Oh, I love The Myth Makers. It's one that I've not revisited for years, but it introduces... Really, because it's getting a bit of a revival in fan circles at the moment. Now, I've always really liked The Myth Makers. It is one of the most entertaining Target novels. That's a John Lucarotti one, isn't it? No, Dennis Spooner. He did Myth Makers, Romans and The Gunfighters. And all of the novels are very entertaining. And two of the audios or TV shows are very entertaining. Well, I've not listened to Myth Makers for a long time, so I'm looking forward to revisiting that one. It's a fuck ton better than The Gunfighters. Not difficult. But on that note, boys and girls, thank you very much for listening to us. Bye now. The Archive of Audio Antiquities featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. 
and the announcer was Jenny at Bluebox 99. All featured soundtracks are the property of their respective producers and no infringement of copyright is intended. Title music was by Edward White and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.